you people have it together here. <laughs> Everything's working, functioning well, and I appreciate that. I wanted to compliment you on your church. When I, <clears throat> when I came here first time last fall, uh, I get to visit a lot of churches. I travel a lot. And uh, sometimes when a church is in a temporary location, rented facilities, the church itself feels a little temporary. You know what I'm saying? And uh, <clears throat> I don't get that feeling here. Uh, and I appreciate that. There's a, uh, there's a sense that everything is very purposeful. And uh, I want to compliment your uh, worship team. I enjoyed your worship this morning. I especially like the man on that box. Uh, <clears throat> it sounds better than most drum kits. Uh, you do a great job. And uh, we really enjoy uh, being with you, and it's a privilege. And I mean that sincerely. And I want to, I want to thank my friend Mary Lee Dawn and her husband for coming. Um, and wave at the people. Marilee Dawn is a, uh, <clears throat> is a minister. We serve together in the same international board for Daystar Television. And she's uh, a very gifted, incredibly gifted ventriloquist. Uh, <clears throat> fascinating. I'm glad she's not doing that today because <clears throat> I'm usually a target when she does. So... <laughs> But uh, we worked together for some time in Calgary, and uh, I appreciate her. She's been through a lot, a lot of challenges in her life, and uh, has come out without the smell of smoke. And so uh, we admire you for that, Marilee. God bless you for being faithful to God and the message of the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> I don't believe that anything happens by chance. When you're committed to God, when you're a believer, uh, there are not, I don't believe that there's just a circumstance. I don't think that we're here just by circumstance today. And so I take it very seriously as I prepare because I don't know who is going to receive what at what time? But I know it's not chance that we're all gathered here. So God has something for us. And he is faithful to deliver that. And I'm so grateful to have that assurance. I'm going to direct you to a story. And uh, I'm going to request that you listen carefully because... It's a story from the scriptures, and it is a bit sensitive in its nature in terms of today's culture. Uh, we live in a, a society and a culture, and today I don't think we've ever lived in a time when there were so many sensitivities uh, surrounding us and surrounding the world that we live in. Uh, it seems to me that people live on the tiptoe of offense. And when is somebody going to treat me wrong? And uh, 
So today I, I'm, I'm walking into something that's a little bit difficult, but uh, be patient with me. Amen. We're going to land somewhere. And uh, my message is, is called Society's Malfunction. And it's uh, from a fascinating story in the scripture found in John chapter 4, verses 7 to 26 and 39 to 42. It sounds like a lot, but it's a short reading. And it's a fascinating story about the woman at the well. So I I think you'll enjoy what we have to share with you. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, now Samaritans and Jews had a, a class distinction between them. The Samaritans were considered less than, and uh, the Jews were considered, considered themselves superior for whatever reason. And so <clears throat> it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, the setting is that Jesus had come with his disciples and they had stopped in Samaria and he stopped at the famous Jacob's well. And this well had been uh, dug years before. You can read the story about it. It's fascinating. And how that, uh, as Jesus was passing through towns with his disciples, he instructs them, why don't you go and get something to eat? I'm just going to rest by the well. Well, here's here's where we understand that there is no coincidences. Because while he was there, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Well, the woman uh, looked at him and he said, she said, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Brackets there, it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Strange answer, huh? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? You see, you see, she's, she's a woman that's got a little bit of, of strength. She, she doesn't just retreat into the shadows. She, she's going to make her point. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir... Give me this water so I won't get thirsty. Then I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Well, duh. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus drops the major. I who speak to you am he. What a moment. At that moment, right after Jesus makes that declaration, the disciples returned with food and were amazed. Amazed he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. I think it's important that we understand some things, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to draw some truths out of this that I think will will really give you a better understanding of what was going on in this dialogue between Christ and the Samaritan woman, and will also give you some points on what I believe will I don't know if I can use the term fix. I think I can use the term fix that can fix what we have here, society's malfunction. Christ gave us an outline, and this woman lived it. I admire this Samaritan woman. She had class. She had distinction. She had courage. She had strength of character. And she knew how to deal with the situation at hand. I know some other things about her. I know, number one, that she was attractive. You don't burn through five husbands unless you have something going on. (laughs) Right? So she was a good-looking woman, and she had something to offer in terms of the way she presented herself. Number two, I know she had influence. Because at the end of the day... After Christ had finished ministering to her and she accepted what he had to offer, she was able to bring a whole people group out to meet him. She, in, she affected an entire region. Well, in effect, Christ affected the entire region, but her as well. So let's look at this. Let's look at first what this woman's issues were. This woman at the well. Number one, I suggest to you that she had a distorted minority identity. Here's this woman at the well and she suffered from a lie that had been sold to her people in that day. You are discriminated against because of who you are. She considered herself less than. Because of the lie that had been handed down by the generations. So this woman resorted to the typical defense tactic resentment. One of your people did something to my people. 
50 years ago, and I hate you because of that. It is a attitude that is perpetuated by a feeling of justification. And the whole discrimination issue was a smokescreen to hide the bitterness and hatred that existed between two people groups. People were determined to rehearse that offense over and over again. Do you think, do you think it's a surprise that Hollywood has such an emphasis going back to the injustices that had happened between blacks and whites years ago? Why is it continually being brought up? And, and why is it, why did they go back and delve into incredible movies that show the horrid injustice and the awful things that took place? How does that minister and heal the situation? My suggestion is that it ends up making it far worse. I don't think the agenda behind that is healing. Contrary to what was happening here. It's getting quiet in here. Where is the idea of allowing people to heal and move on? Someone feels it's important to open the wound again and again. Cause more pain and reinforce the injustice. Christ refused to buy in to the discrimination lie. He crossed the invisible culture line that was drawn in the sand by small-minded people. And he blew right past the whole issue with a few words. Will you give me a drink? Jews weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to be a distinct class all to themselves. They had foolish laws about you can't walk too close to a dead animal and you got to wash your hands. You got to do all these ceremonies and things so many times a day and you couldn't touch certain people. I mean, it was hideous. Jesus blows past all that and says, will you give me a drink? Second thing I observe about this woman is that she was quick. To find her perceived enemy's problem. I'm sorry, I'm trying to make things work here. When Jesus ignored the discrimination myth and gave the woman an opportunity to see who was, she still did not let her guard down. Rather, she moved to the next tactic and immediately pointed out his problem. You see, you've got a problem. You have nothing to draw with. She's standing there with a bucket in her hand. He's asking for a drink. And she says, you've got a problem. You've got nothing to draw with. And I'm so glad God is patient the way he is. I'm so glad Christ dealt with that so wisely. 
you know, if I were given that situation, I would have said, what's in your hand? (laughs) You got the bucket. Come on. Give me a drink. Not Christ. She's standing there, and she informs Jesus what he lacks. God is talking to her, and the solution to her whole dysfunctional mess is right in front of her. And what is she doing? She's deflecting the whole thing back on him. She's a smart chick. She knows how to handle herself. She has some street smarts. The next issue that I recognize in her is that she had a propensity to challenge authority. She's streetwise. She knows how to communicate. She knows which buttons to push. Her next strategy is to challenge his position. It's who do you think you are approach. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Nobody was greater in her culture than Jacob, the very man who centuries before dug the well that they were standing at. He was admired and upheld, and he had brought this well to them. She goes on, and she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Do you recognize this woman? More accurately, do you recognize this spirit? It's in every university. It's in every human rights group. It's in every institution in our nation. And her approach is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Who do you think you are? Christ doesn't fall for the bait. He simply breezes right past the attitude, the hostility, brings her back to her solution. I have water that will quench your thirst Forever. And here's where it gets fun. Her next issue is that she has a hunger for convenience. Oh, you'll give me water. I don't have to come back to the well. I can be taken care of. Show me the. I don't want to pay the price. Give me, give me, give me. And then finally, the obvious one. Searching for love in all the wrong places. Christ deals with her root problem. You've been looking for love and acceptance and self-esteem from husbands. Mm -hmm. She kept thinking it was the men in her life that were messing her up. Her search led her through one dysfunctional relationship after another... But listen, Christ didn't condemn the woman for this. You notice that? Mm -hmm. There was no barbs in the way he spoke to her. I think he appreciated the fact that she kept searching. That she just didn't give up. (laughs) She's living a life that says it's got to be better than this. And that last husband didn't work, maybe the next one will. And after that, the next one. And after that, the next one. You see the hunger in this woman? She's after something and she's getting no satisfaction. 
I think today some believers are on the same treadmill. They bounce from job to job. It's the people in the last place that made it miserable for me. They bounce from church to church. If that last church would have been more smart, I'd still be there. If the pastor had been more loving, I mean, what's he have a beard for anyway? <laughs> you know, <laughs> rub you the wrong way. What? You know, and, and we see this problem, this issue perpetuated in our society, and this woman was living it out. It was all my former friends were wrong, and there is a thirst in our own spirit that is not satisfied, and it is time to get real with life. I was raised in a pastor's home. My dad was a traveling evangelist. He traveled throughout Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, established churches in the northern parts of the countries when it was really hard to do so. That's when you traveled in by skis and would come into a farmer's home and say, can I chop some wood for a meal? Can I feed your cattle? Can I do something? I'm hungry. Of course, people were hospitable and they would say, well, yes, please come in. We don't want you to spend the night in the cold. And they would offer him food. And he would, prior to the meal, he would say, well, listen, I'm a minister. We have to pray for the meal. He would pray his prayer. And often, before the evening was out, he'd have led the family to the Lord. One family. They'd invite in neighbors in. They'd get another neighbor. And before long, they'd be having church. People would get spirit-filled. Stuff would happen. As a result of this lifestyle, near as we know, we did some research on my father, and unfortunately he didn't keep records. As near as we know, we, he established someplace between 15 to 25 churches. We know for certain eight, because the physical buildings are there that he built. He was a carpenter by trade. And he physically built eight of them. And in fact, he donated the property in Edmonton for Edmonton Gospel Temple. It's right in the center of the city on 99th Avenue. He's, uh, I have great admiration for him. Uh, He sacrificed more than anybody I know. He would go for, he would work for months for a sack of potatoes. As a result, he was gone from home a lot. Uh, I came late in life. My father was 61 when I was born, and my mother was 40. And so uh, they were pioneers in more ways than one. Uh, As a result of that lifestyle, there wasn't a lot in our our home, in our family. He passed away when I was 11 years old. Because of our diet, we ate starchy foods. I was an overweight kid. I was a Pentecostal preacher's kid, and I was poor, and so I dressed funny. So I was that guy, and I got beat up every day I went to school. I hated school. We would have to walk through... We had a system in our little town, and the, and the uh, 
the high school students that were being bused to the next town would wait for their bus, and they would wait in the foyer, the entrance of the school. And all us elementary kids would have to walk through those doors. And every day, the routine was the same. I'd walk through that door, and my books would get slammed on the floor. I'd get pushed up against the wall. My lunch kit would get opened. Uh, I mean, it was continual. Every day, I hated school. I've thought back on that sometimes. Was I supposed to be a victim? Was I supposed to get a bunch of resentment and hatred toward those high school students? Was I supposed to sue the school district? We didn't think in those terms in those days. We didn't have the smarts for that. We didn't have the tools. So I went through it. I developed a condition in my hands with warts. It's horrid. At one time I looked, and on the fingers of this hand and the fingers of this hand, I counted, I had 21 warts. And these things were growing, and they would, they would get caught on things and bleed. Put my hands in my pockets, they'd catch and bleed. And they were grotesque looking. My hands were disfigured. My mother took me to the doctor and he looked at me and the only condition they had in those days was electric shock. He used to use a little electric needle. And he looked at that and he said, by the time I take care of all that, I have a real problem. So he did what doctors do. Here's some bandages, wrap it up and hope it goes away. Well, of course it didn't. One night after our Sunday service, went for prayer. The, the practice was in our church in those days. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, Marilee, but the, the, the prayer room in the church was almost as big as the auditorium. Because the custom was after every service, we all go to prayer. Used to have elections for board members, and we would watch who went for prayer. That we should nominate so-and-so for board member. He wasn't in the prayer room. Scratch him off. <laughs> now remember this night, as I was there, I, I looked at my hands and I looked at how hideous they were. And I remember going to my pastor, Rudolph Jacobson, and I just said, would you pray for me? Hold my hands out like this. And he looked at me, looked at my hands. I think I was 11 years old at seventh grade, however old I was. He took my hands in his and he began to weep. I was so amazed. Here's this man weeping. This man of God is weeping over me. And, and I remember he got himself together. He prayed. A week later in school and I looked and I noticed that they were changing. Some of them were turning black. I don't want to gross you out, but I had a pocket knife and I picked at it and it fell out. <laughs> Within two days, my hands were clean Amen. by the power of God. 
And when I experienced that, it did something in my spirit that brought me a reassurance that God cared about me. And the abuse that happened at school didn't matter so much because God cared. God cares about my silly warts. He's got to see what's going on when I walk through that hallway every day. And that started me on a journey of trust and dependence on God that changed my life and brought me to a place of acceptance of God's purpose and that his direction for my life was greater than the circumstances that surrounded it. Let me tell you about how this woman responded. I think we got five points and we'll close. She came to the point where she looked beyond her own prejudice and was willing to listen. She got over the poor me attitude. She decided she would no longer sacrifice her dignity and self-worth to the God of discrimination. And I use that term deliberately, God of discrimination. She was set free from the victim virus. It's everywhere. It's the fuel behind every extreme group. Interest lobby. Poor me. You're discriminating against me. I'm going to tell you folks today, I'm so weary of the rhetoric. Get over it and take some responsibility. Are we okay? Number two, she acknowledged she was emotionally bankrupt and accepted the God solution she pressed on to discover who this Jesus was. Even when he ignored her attempts to get her into puny debates about how unfair her situation was. Everybody has a story. If I went with the mic to every person here, every one of you has a story. Every one of you has an issue that you've had to overcome or deal with. Some of you might be in the middle of it right now. I don't know where you're at, but I know that God is bigger than the issue. And the Christ you serve is bigger than the problem that you are addressing right now, whoever you are. Jesus, help me. We've got to become bigger than that and refuse to be the victim and move on. She let down her defenses long enough to acknowledge her need. God knows everything about you. Yet he is willing to fill the longing in your soul. All we have to acknowledge That we need help. The longer we choose to deny our need, the longer we live with the issue. Christ was not there to expose the woman, but to give her an answer to her whole dysfunctional mess. Isn't that amazing the people God uses? Isn't that incredible? I'm going to send people into the promised land. Don't send them in to take over the promised land. Who will I use to give them safe passage? 
Well, why not a hooker? You go, what? Of the hundreds of thousands of people in this town, that's who you're going to use? Wow. You see, there is zero limitation to whom God will use. Next point, she discovered that worship was not a form or a location, but a submitted attitude of heart. Jesus made it clear to the woman that the issue wasn't where she worshiped in this mountain or Jerusalem or that mountain, but it's in your own spirit. You must worship me in spirit and truth. That will change it. And then finally, she surrendered to the realization of who Jesus is and brought all her friends to meet him. She did a complete 180 and brought an entire city to the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure how to end this. It. I'll be honest with you, it hasn't been an easy message to communicate because I understand the sensitivities and I understand the world that we live in. But there's a sense within me that God would not put this on my spirit. As I said at the beginning, nothing happens by chance. I believe that God had me here with this message for a certain people. Or persons. And I think, I would suggest that God wants to bring us out of that and set us free from the thing that has kept us in bondage. And my experience is, as I explained to you, that when I acknowledge I have a need, Christ is always there immediately to deliver and set free. There's one ingredient that we need and it's called humility. Humility is acknowledging that I need him. It isn't the car you drive or the house you live in or the kind of clothes you have. It's acknowledging I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't walk the gauntlet into that high school and get beat up another day. But with you, I can. With you, I can overcome all that. And I can learn to be a friend to those that abuse me because I'm going to be bigger than their issue. Hallelujah. Pastor, come help me. Let's, I suggest we all stand. I somehow feel like we need to take this to another level and have a turning point for some people. And I would like you to lead us the way you you sense the Holy Spirit would take us 
from this point forward as we, as we turn to God now and ask him, ask him like he did for the Samaritan woman to take care of all those. I don't know if you have a keyboardist here or somebody that can give us a little bit of music or something, but anything that would assist us in, in presenting ourselves to Christ right now yeah. so that we might, so that people can be free Amen. Amen. of any issues. Good. The advantage of being a visitor is I don't know anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I just, I put it out there in, I submit it to you as a servant today. Not as the guy who's got all the solutions. God has the solutions. But I submit it to you that God wants us to be a free people. Amen, Pastor. I believe that is a word for us, that God wants us to be free. And I feel that what Pastor Phil just brought to us, um, as he said, one ingredient, it's funny because I wrote in the margin of my notebook, humility. And uh, right near the end of the message, thinking that thing where we come and say, okay, why would I resist? Jesus has what I need. I am not self-dependent because I know what I produce isn't going to amount to much. Um, And so humility and part of that is uh, faith. I'm humble enough to recognize I don't have it. But you do, so I'm going to stop trusting in me. I'm going to trust in you. And um, if I can just say, one of the things I felt as we were uh, in this time is that, uh, and I I think you touched on her feeling this, is there's always a resistance when something new comes and, oh, you're going to need to change and take a step. There's a resistance, and it's like, why, why would I resist? The one who is perfect and the one who is good and the one who loves me. You know, because culturally, things are taking us one direction. But we don't want to be just taken where the culture wants us. So let's humble ourselves right now. And maybe uh, you're okay with this. Um, If you want to keep your hands low. But let's open our hands up like we're relinquishing ourselves over to his care. And receiving at the same time from him. And let's humble ourselves and trust in him. Father God, we thank you that Jesus came not just to bring a message, but to be the message, to live it out, that he is the word made flesh. And that in that he reveals who you truly are to us. And we want to first relinquish our resistance and our pride. I don't know what... We, we, what we have to be proud of anyway, God, when we really look at it like that, we hand you ourselves, our thinking, our attitudes, our background. Um, as Thank you, Father. Dr. Phil said, each of us has a story. Amen. We relinquish it to you, God, Amen, that Lord. we wouldn't Amen, determine Father. based on that. Here's how we've got to go. We want to go the direction that you want and that you're able to heal us of the past and redirect and give us true strength and true satisfaction. And so we humble ourselves before you, Lord. You have what we need. Jesus. We don't. 
I want you and you can do this really quietly. Don't want to embarrass anybody, but you can do this in a whisper or even if you need to pray just in your head right now. But I would encourage you to actually thoughtfully just offer yourself to him. And if there's a thing or some action, like for her, it was five husbands and being Samaritan versus being. But for us, I don't know what that might be, but for you to relinquish what the thing is, not just a general prayer, but if there are things that you know, hey, I need, this is my opportunity to relinquish this to Jesus and to trust him. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll just take a minute as Alexi plays and just hand those things over. Holy Spirit, uh, shine a light on whatever it is in each individual. Thank you, God. Father, right now we release the past. We release the offense. We release the wounding. We release the abuse. We release that which was unfair and uncalled for. We take all that and we put it to the side, we surrender it to you. Lord, and we receive from you today your acceptance, your love. We receive your affirmation and we acknowledge that nothing that we could do would change it, only you can change it. And so we're asking that you take what we have and reshape it into something that is delightsome and glorious. I pray that you will make us better businessmen, better women. I pray that you will make us better wives, better husbands, better children, better students, better leaders. And cause us to walk in the freedom that comes from releasing the bitterness and releasing the anger and the resentment and turning it all to you. And for from this day forward, we choose to walk in freedom and joy. We choose to rise above it all and be free of it all. And we look forward to a new life in 2020. A life filled with joy. A life filled with promise. A life filled with hope as we move into our future. We thank you for that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. If you want to just continue, just stay and um, we'll get Alexi to play for the next hour or so. You can just stay and uh, pray. Uh, just worship. Let God, if he's doing something, don't run away. Uh, you know, or if you need prayer, uh, come to the front. Pastor Phil, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it, Lord. We ask a blessing on Pastor Phil, even as he returns to Calgary today. God, that you'd fill him up after him yeah. pouring out, that you'd fill him up. Bless him and Joan and continue, God, the, the purposes that you have for them in this season of their lives. We ask for um, 
your direction and for your grace and anointing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.